Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. We use words to communicate. And we also understand that words can change meaning, even over time. One word that comes to mind is the word wicked. Now, just even a few decades ago, if you ask someone what wicked means, it just means just that, wicked or evil, and so on. And yet, nowadays, you can hear some of the teenage folk and maybe even some of the young adults say things like, oh, that's wicked, and that's just... uh, Fancy way of saying, oh, that's cool, that's, that's, that's great. And so there's, there's been a change in the meaning of that word. Now, some of those things may be innocent things, but what you also find is that there are certain biblical words that are used and gets used in the world, and it begins to change its meaning. I mean, maybe you've heard this from someone, maybe you've watched a movie, or maybe you've read in a book where somebody is going through some difficulty, and the person responds by saying, you've just got to have faith. Just have faith. And what they mean by that is, you know, what they would have probably meant 200 years ago of wishful, optimistic thinking. You know, just just kind of, have faith that things will just work out. Everything will just work out fine. Just, just have faith. And that's how the, the world uses that term faith in some degree. And the trouble is when that word also then, that meaning of the word also starts creeping into the church and people begin to think that's what faith is, which is just wishful thinking and just kind of thinking that everything will be okay and somehow things will just work out. This morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, we will look at what faith actually is. And this is important for us to understand because according to the author of Hebrews, it is faith that is going to help us endure in this world. Without faith, we will not endure. I know it's been a few weeks since we've looked at the book of Hebrews, but just very roughly we saw that, you know, the context of it was you had these Jewish Christians, Hebrews. They proclaimed faith in Jesus and they were beginning to face persecution. And because of all the difficulty that they were facing, they were now tempted to turn away from following Jesus and go back to their roots of Judaism, to go back to their Jewish roots, to go back to the temple and the sacrifices and whatnot, because in their minds they're thinking, well, following Jesus, there's so much of difficulty, so much of persecution, even being kicked out of their families and mistreated. It's so much more better going back to this external religion that we've known for centuries before that our forefathers have practiced. And surely it is from God, isn't it? And so the author then writes this letter to the Hebrews to 
to encourage these Christians that are despondent and tempted to turn away from Christ, to say, no, 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 you, you should not turn away from Christ. And what he tells them for the first, really, first 10 chapters is who Christ is, who this Jesus Christ is, that he is the Son of God. He is the last word of God who reveals everything about God. That he is this high priest, there is no need for any other priest. That he is the perfect sacrifice, that he mediates a new covenant. A new covenant that is enduring, which is not like the old covenant. And so he tells them all about who Jesus is and what his work is to just sort of encourage them to not shrink back from following Jesus. And then in chapter 10, the last part of chapter 10, which was the last sermon that I preached from, he, he reminds them, and you, and you remember in your early days, you did face persecution, that people mocked and shamed you in public, that they plundered your properties, but you were standing fast at the time. And so then, in light of that, then he encourages them. And if you look at Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, he says to them, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward in the end. And so what you need now, fellow Christians, fellow Hebrews, is you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then in verse 39, he goes on to say, he reassures them, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and persevere. So the author's really where he ends chapter 10 is, you have need of endurance. And how are you going to endure? By faith. That's the only way, if you have faith, that you will make it through. And so then, in chapter 11, he goes on to describe something of what faith is and gives examples from the Old Testament of how faith worked in their lives. This is, this is how faith normally works in, in God's people. And he wants to show them that's what it is, and that's what you have, and therefore, in light of that, that's the only way you're going to persevere in this world, just like the Old Testament saints. So this morning, I've titled my sermon as, What is Faith? And we're going to look at two things from this passage. Firstly, we'll look at the description of faith in verses 1 through 3. And then secondly, we'll look at the examples of faith in verses 4 through 7. But before we get into that, I, I just want to explain just a couple of things to you just with regards to faith. The first thing that I want to say is that faith is a gift from God. It's not a human work, but it's a gift from God. Look at Philippians 1.29, for example. Philippians 1.29 says, 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you. It, has been, it is a gift for you that you believe in Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God. It is not something that we simply cook up. Really, uh, you know, I, I want to give you just a basic definition then of what faith is. Just a very simplistic definition, but I think it'll be helpful as we look at this passage. Faith is basically entrusting yourself to God and what He has said. Faith is entrusting yourself to God and what He has said. Such that who He is and what He has said is more real and more substantial in your life than anything else in this world. And who God is and what His Word is then governs your life. So in a very basic sense, faith is simply entrusting yourself to God and what He has said. Despite what this world may look like. Despite what your senses may tell you. Despite what your reason may tell you. You take God at His word and you entrust yourself fully to Him. That's what faith is. Now let me use an example. And this is an example that one of my professors Uh, told us in class while I was in seminary, and I think it's a very helpful way to think about faith. Think of yourself in a building that's on fire. And imagine uh, a strong fire, and you have no way of escape. You know, there's fire everywhere, there's smoke everywhere. You cannot save yourself from that building. And now a strong fireman comes in and then picks you up. And then takes you out of that building. Now somebody then a day or two later comes and says, Oh, you know what? Weren't you in that building that caught on fire? You know, how did you save yourself from that burning house? Well, imagine if you said something like, Well, that's because of the strength of my entrustment, you know. I just kind of so relaxed myself into that fireman's hands. You know, it was so powerful, it was so good, that's how I got saved. You know, people will think, you know, what is wrong with you? You you did nothing. All you did was entrust yourself to that fireman. He did all the work. And that's, in a very basic sense, what faith is. Faith is entrusting yourself to God and what He has said entirely. So much so that regardless of what your circumstance may look like, that becomes your governing thing and you are led by that. Who God is and what He has said and you entrust yourself completely to Him. You know, we all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says that salvation is by grace you have been saved. 
that it is a gift of God and it is not your doing. And it is by, let, let me just get that passage. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that anyone may boast. So salvation is by grace. It's only by the grace of God. And faith is then the human response which entrusts that that oneself to God and saying, yeah, it is all of God. He did it all. It is all by His grace. And it is entrusting yourself to that. And faith then just magnifies that aspect that God is the one who is doing it all. That's what faith is. As opposed to something that you are mustering up or some work that you have to do that we can normally think of. So that's what faith is, and think about that as we look through this passage. Now the author here, he doesn't necessarily give us a full definition of what faith is, but he gives certain descriptions of what faith is, what faith does really. And even in the examples, he begins to show the different ways that faith operates. So let's look at first the description of faith in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now the word translated assurance, it can also be translated as substance or reality or essence. In fact, in the King James Version, it's translated this way, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. In the Christian Standard Bible, also it's translated as, faith is the reality of things hoped for. In fact, in Hebrews 1.3, the same word is used that's translated here as assurance, and over there, where it says, Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. There, it's the exact imprint of his substance or of his essence. That's what you see in Hebrews 1.3. So here's the thing. If we translate this word as assurance, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, you know, we can tend to think of it as this kind of internal assurance, a, a deep confidence of the things hoped for. And what are these things hoped for? These are all the things that God has promised in the future, as we've seen in the book of Hebrews. Like Jesus' return, that he will establish his kingdom, that he will make everything new, that, he that ultimately all Christians, all believers will be saved and will reign with him on earth. That's all the things hoped for, all that God has promised in the future. So when... When that word is translated as assurance, it's saying that faith is the internal assurance or deep confidence that these things that God has said will come to pass. And, it's, and we tend to think of it then therefore that faith from a, from a subjective assurance, from a subjective point of view, and I would say yeah, that there's certainly a subjective aspect of it. 
But I think what the author is getting here is more than its subjective sense. He's talking about the objective sense of faith. Which is why I like it. I like the KJV or the CSB translation where it says that faith is the substance or the reality of things hoped for. Now, what does that mean? That faith is the substance or the reality of things hoped for. It means that faith is what makes it possible for us to capture something of the substance of what we hope for in the future. It is by faith we experience something of the goodness and the joy of what God has promised in the future. Faith gives to our future hope a present reality as if it is already possessed. I like how one theologian described this. And I want to read that out to you. He says, quote, Faith apprehends the goodness and the sweetness of what God promises so clearly that His goodness and sweetness are substantially present in faith. In other words, faith grasps, lays hold of God's preciousness so firmly that in faith itself there is the substance of, of the goodness and the sweetness of what is promised. He goes on to say, faith does not just feel confident that this is coming someday, No, faith has supernaturally laid hold of and perceived and tasted that it is real. And this means that faith has the substance or the nature of what is hoped for in it. Faith's enjoyment of the promise is a kind of substantial down payment of the reality that is coming. So pulling that all together. Faith makes it possible for us to apprehend in the present something of the joy and the goodness of what will be fully realized now in the present. And the fact that something of the substance of the future hope is realized now in the present, then we can say that's how faith is the substance of things hoped for. So then it's not just a subjective assurance, it becomes an objective guarantee. I already taste and possess some of what is coming in the future. So you see how it's not just a subjective assurance, it's an objective assurance because I have something of the substance even right now in faith. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Then he goes on to say, it's also the conviction of things not seen. Now the word translated here as conviction can also be translated as evidence or of proof. The King James Version has it like this, faith is the evidence of things not seen. The Christian Standard Bible says, faith is the proof of what is not seen. And here, again, I lean to these translations more than the ESV here. Because again, I don't think 
the author is getting at something subjective, like an inward conviction, subjective in, inward conviction, but something more objective. So what does it mean that faith is the proof of things not seen or the evidence of things not seen? I think this is what it means. See, when a person has faith, that person has spiritual senses. He knows God to be true. This person who has faith knows God's word is true and reliable. But the person who has no faith has no spiritual perception whatsoever. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what God has said in his word the natural man thinks it's just folly. He, he cannot understand it. And what the author is saying is what God has said about what he has done in the past and what God has said about what he will do in the future, that's all the unseen things. That the person who has faith knows that these unseen things, what God has done in the past, and will do in the future, the person who has faith knows that these things to be true and real. You say, why? Why does a person who has faith knows that these things that are unseen, things that have happened in the past, and things that are going to come in the future, what God has said, they are true and real? Because God has said it. So then when faith behaves in such a way, according to what God has said, it proves that these unseen things, things hoped for, are indeed true and real. Otherwise, that person wouldn't be living like that. Faith wouldn't be acting like that. Think of it this way. Faith is the substance, the objective evidence that can be presented in a courtroom, so to speak. That the things unseen or the things hoped for are true. Because it really is the substance and the evidence of the unseen things. So faith, it's not wishful, optimistic thinking that things will work out. That's not faith is. Nor is faith some kind of blind faith, you know, some kind of leap in the dark without any knowledge. No, faith is firmly grounded on who God is and what he has said. And we all know that there's nothing more, no, nothing more grounded, nothing more firm than God and his word that we can rest on. He's the solid rock that we can stand on. Everything else is sinking sand. Now the author goes on to say, for by it... The people of old received their commendation. The people of old here, it's referring to the forefathers of the faith, the Old Testament saints. And what it's saying is these forefathers of the faith, they weren't approved by God because of their righteous deeds, because they did some you know, fanciful things. That's not why they were approved. 
No, they were approved by God because of their faith in Him. These forefathers, even though they had nothing visible to hang on to, they were trusting in God's promises and that's how they endured their life on this earth. And God himself then testifies that they are righteous and pleasing in his sight because of their faith in him. And I think this is so important, right? For the listeners to understand that the author is writing to and even to us. Remember the, the listeners, they were being persecuted for following Jesus. They were being publicly shamed. And they were even abused for their faith in the Lord Jesus. But the author is saying to his listeners, look, even though the world around you may shame you and call you a bigot or call you unrighteous for your faith in Jesus, know this, God is pleased with your faith. He has only joy for you. Now before the author goes on to explain how faith operated in the lives of these forefathers, the author goes back to the beginning of creation to just explain how faith is operating even right now in the lives of his listeners. So he says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Notice here one thing. It is not by faith that the universe was created. I want to say that again. It is not by faith that the universe was created. Now you might say, well, oh, Benoit, why are you saying that? Yeah, that, that's obvious, isn't it? Well, I... I make particular note of that because in the word of faith movement and I would think even some Christians who are influenced by that think of faith as having some kind of inherent power or some force to create something that is not there. They will say you just have to believe and then it'll just come true. So if you've gotten some illness you just believe and you're going to be healthy. Or you're poor uh, you, you, you want like a big house, you've just got to believe and believe hard and it will just come true. And they, they make it sound like faith can create things. No, faith has no inherent power in itself. Our faith is not the source of power. We can't simply make things happen by our willpower out of nothing. The power to create is God's and He alone creates things out of nothing. See, God creating the universe is also part of that which is unseen. Because no one was there when God was creating everything in Genesis 1.1. There was no human being there. Nobody witnessed it with their eyes. So it's unseen. We cannot verify it by some experiment. But as Christians, we believe it to be absolutely true because God has said it. And so we understand it to be true. That it is God 
who created everything in this world by his word. And if by faith we believe that God created the universe simply by his word, even though we weren't there, we didn't see it with our physical eyes, then why would we doubt the same word of God about the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ? That seems to be the logic of what the author is trying to say. If we believe in the past, everything about creation, and, and we know this to be true as Christians, he has created this world by his word, and that same word says these things are going to happen in the future, then why would we doubt him? See, the rationalists in this world will say, it's all human reason. And if you can humanly reason it out to me, then, yeah, I can believe that it's true. But here's the problem. Human reason is also fallen. It's fleshly. And as we saw last week, so because man in their sin, in his flesh, what does he do? He suppresses the truth about God. So human reason is fallen and it's fleshly. It cannot simply be the arbiter to say this is true and this is false. Now the empiricist will say, unless I experience it and recreate what happened at creation in a lab and observe it with my own eyes, I will not accept it. Well, we can't recreate what happened at creation because only God has the power to create this universe. Only he has the power to create something out of nothing. But we can point to people, ask them to look at creation, see the design and the order, and say, look, it points to God as their maker. And yet they will then deny that. And so here's what we need to understand. Human reason, that can be fallible. What we perceive by fallen minds can be fallible. What we see with our fallible physical eyes can also be fallible. Sometimes we think we see things and sometimes we see a mirage and it's actually not there. But the things unseen, what God has done in the past, and things unseen, what God said he will do in the future, we can be more certain of than anything else that this world will throw at us. Why? Because God has said it. There is nothing in this world that we can be absolutely certain of other than God and what he has said. So, in other words, what makes faith so powerful is not faith in itself. What makes faith so powerful is in what we are putting our trust in and not in the strength of our faith. And even Paul mentioned that at the start during our welcome. One commentator gives a good analogy to explain this, that what makes faith powerful is what we put our trust in and it's not the degree or the strength of our faith. And I think it's a very helpful analogy. You know, he says, 
this, theolo- this commentator, he also flies planes. And he says, imagine, you know, on one of those occasions that he becomes convinced that this little plane that he has can make its way, say, across the transatlantic. And he says, regardless of how much faith I have in that little plane, it wouldn't have mattered because about half an hour off the coast, I would run out of gas and I would have to ditch in the ocean. Even if my faith were as solid and strong as a rock, it would have been in the wrong object. But then he says, but imagine another person who's getting ready to board a 747, Boeing 747 plane. Now this person's a nervous flyer and they don't have much faith that this plane will get them across the ocean. But they eventually somehow get on the plane with much trepidation. And of course, it makes it across the ocean all the way to England. Their faith may be small and weak, but it's in the right object. And that's why they made it through. See, this is the essence of faith. What matters is what you are believing in. It is possible to live by faith so long as you are entrusting yourself to God and who who He has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Faith gets its assurance by focusing on its object. And we all know that's ultimately Jesus Christ. So that's some description about faith, of how faith acts. That it's the substance of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things unseen, it is by it People are commended in God's eyes. And now he goes on to give examples of faith. And he's, he goes through the book of Genesis, really, and he starts in the pre-flood era. And he talks about three main characters there, Abel, and then he talks about Enoch, and then he talks about Noah. And he gives, and he wants to show to us different ways in which, again, how faith operates how faith operated in the lives of these individuals. Look at verse 4. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now this is talking about the account of Cain and Abel found in Genesis 4, which was part of our Bible reading this morning. In Genesis 4, we see that at a particular time, both Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. And I believe God would have instructed them on what to bring for as an offering 
Because throughout the Bible, we see that bringing an offering of worship to the Lord, it's, it's never some sort of man-made thing where man thinks, oh, I think this will be good to bring before the Lord. It's always directed by God. It is God who directs people in how he should be approached. So God would have given this instruction to Adam and Eve first, and then they would have passed it down to their two sons in how God should be approached and you know, what offering should be given to the Lord and how it should be given. We read in Genesis 4 that Cain was a farmer and he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel, being a shepherd, he brought the firstborn of his flock. Now this is significant that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock because in the Old Testament, what we see is that God required the first fruits and the firstborn of the flock of animals. And you say, why? Well, why did God require the first fruits or the firstborn of the flock? Because it was a way of recognizing that God is the provider of everything. See, when a person gave their first fruits, you know, the harvest time, and it's that first batch that comes, the, the best batch and the first batch that has just come. It was an act of faith that the person would give that to the Lord because they didn't know that if after that they would get more produce. But they trusted God with it and trusted that God would provide. So when somebody brought their first fruits, it was a way of saying, God, you have first place in my life and I trust you no matter what, that you will provide in some way or the other. So what we see here is that Cain brought only some of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought the firstborn of, its, of his flock and its fat portions as an offering. So Abel gave the best to the Lord, his first fruit, so to speak, of his flock. And it showed that Abel was fully devoted to God and God had first place in his life. So God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Cain, on the other hand, he had no faith in God. He was not devoted to God, let alone fully devoted to God. Cain was trusting in his own hard-earned produce, his own efforts to somehow find favor in God's eyes. And because of this, Cain was rejected. But again, think of why Abel was commended and accepted. Abel was commended as righteous in God's sight because Abel was acting in faith. Abel showed by his actions that whatever happens, the Lord will have first place in my life and I'm not trusting in my own efforts. That's what he showed by his offering, by his actions. And ultimately, his devotion to God got him killed because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, and then Cain finally killed him and was jealous of Abel and therefore killed him. And Abel really is the first martyr in the Bible. 
And so here it says, and Abel, though dead, speaks even today. So to say that even after so many thousands of years, because his life still speaks, it's a testimony to everyone of a life that was fully devoted to God no matter what. That's a person who has faith. That's how faith worked in that person, in Abel's life. The next example of faith the author uses is Enoch, verses 5 and 6. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, Enoch is a person that appears in Genesis 5 in this list of descendants of Adam through Seth. And there's this one refrain that's repeated throughout this genealogy after the description of each individual, and it's this, and he died, and he died, and he died. And the only break in the pattern is when Enoch is mentioned where it says in Genesis 5 and verse 24 that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. See, by faith, Enoch walked with God. He lived his life on earth as though he were in the presence of God talking to God and communing with God, opening his heart with God. So by faith, as Enoch walked in close relationship with God, God was pleased with him and commended Enoch as righteous in his sight. You could say Enoch experienced something of the substance of things hoped for. He experienced something of the sweetness and the joy of the fellowship with God that would become ultimate reality in future and it helped him to continue on and walk by faith for 300 years. And what we understand about faith from the life of Enoch is that faith is not just in some sort of intellectual understanding about God, just like a doctrine or a theory. No, it's believing that God is a person, that God is all that he says he is. And it's about drawing near to him and seeking him and having a relationship with him because he is a person where you're communing with him and talking with him and opening your heart with him and walking hand in hand with him, living your life each day as though you're living in his presence, being guided by the hand of God. Enoch's life teaches us that faith is not just a one-time faith that is here today and gone tomorrow. No, it's a life of enduring faith and walking in God's presence. And while Enoch did not experience physical death 
like all of us will. His example teaches us that those who have faith in God, those who have that ongoing relationship with God, can be assured that God will reward them. That it, is, it will not be in vain this walking with God. God will reward believers. And what is the reward? It's ultimate salvation and everything that is associated with it, including a life of joy and peace with God for all of eternity. It's being in His kingdom. It's experiencing all the blessing of living in the presence of God and everything that is associated with it. And believers can be assured of it, and this is what awaits them beyond the grave. Or to put it even more simply, what we can learn from Enoch's life is this. If we walk with God and commune with God on earth, then we can be assured that we will walk with God in heaven. That is as as simple as I can put it, what we can learn from Enoch's life. The last example for today that we'll look at is in verse 7. and says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Abel's faith was seen how? How did it work out? Was seen in his offering that no matter what, he was fully devoted to God. That's one way in which faith operates. Enoch's faith was seen in the way he walked with God for 300 years. That it's a life of a relationship and fellowship with God. That's another way faith works. In Noah's life, we see another way that faith operates, and that's trusting in God's word, even when our eyes haven't seen it. You could say, as one commentator said, Noah was the first person who had, to, who had to take God at its word and live accordingly. See, Noah was called to build a massive ark. And it took decades, not just a few years, but it took decades to build this gigantic thing. You know, he was going there day after day, week after week, year after year, building this massive boat in the middle of nowhere. People around him mocked him as they saw this man devoting so many years to building this massive ark. But why? Why did Noah build this? Because he took God at his word. Because this is what God said. God said that he was going to send a global flood to judge the whole world. And so therefore, you need to build this giant ark. I mean, just think about it. Let alone the fact that he was building the ark in the middle of dry land. No one would have even seen a flood before this time in history. 
This is something that was unseen, could not be comprehended in some sense. But Noah took God at his word, even though he had never seen a flood before. You could say, Noah's life evidenced that the things unseen are true. Because that's why he was building this big ark. And his life gave evidence to these unseen things that they're certainly true. I mean, and to think that other than Noah and really his family, no one in the entire world believed in what God said. But Noah had this awe of God, this reverential fear of God, so he was able to just keep building this ark to save his family and himself and not give in to the fear of man and to be thought of highly by the world around him. He said, no, I'm going to please God. I I revere God more than anyone else and I'm going to listen to what God has said. That's why he devoted himself to building this ark for so many decades. And because Noah trusted God, he saved his family from the global flood as they were safe in the ark, but the rest of the world was decimated in the flood. And again here, what, we, what I want to point out is that Noah was not approved by God just because he obeyed. No, the verse says that it is by faith. Look at that verse again. Because of his faith in what God had said, Noah became an heir of righteousness. It is because of his faith in God that led to certain action. But it was not the action in itself that made him righteous before God. It's his faith in God, in what God had said, in the unseen things that made him righteous before God. It was not his good works that gave him a righteous standing before God, but it was the fact that he trusted in God to save him and his family. So putting this all together, what the author is saying is this, and even starting from the end of Hebrews 10, as Christians, we have to persevere in this world. And the way that we persevere in this world is by not looking to ourselves trying to muster up all the energy that we can to keep us going. That is not how we endure in this world. The only way as Christians we can endure in this world is by looking to God and relying on Him alone and what He has said. And really in the context of Hebrews, when you think of what God has said, He has ultimately communicated His final word through whom? Through his son, the Lord Jesus. And so what that means is if you're struggling with things this morning, perhaps struggling with sin issues in your life, how is it that you can still endure? By faith by relying on God and what he has said about his son. That Jesus came down as a human being 
that he became like you and I, yet without sin. And then he went to the cross to die for our sins as, as believers. And our sins, therefore, because Jesus paid the price for it, is fully forgiven. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. So when we struggle with our sins and we see issues in our life, what do we do? We rely on what God has said. Have we seen it? Seen him with our eyes? No. But we rely on him and we take him at his word. What about when there's struggles in the world? The world is making fun of us. Maybe there's going to be some persecution for taking a stand. The world says, this, this doesn't make sense according to my human reason. Show me evidence, you know, like in a lab. You know, I need to experience it somehow. Otherwise, I cannot think it's true. How can we endure then? Well, we say what God has said is the firmest ground that we can stand on. And ultimately, his son that he has revealed. And so this morning, no matter what you're going through, the message of the author of Hebrews is this. Do not look at the world. Do not look at yourself to muster up some strength to endure in this world. But look to God as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Rely on him and set your hope on him and that is the only way you will persevere in this world let's pray together father we thank you for the gift of faith that you have given to us your children we know that ultimately faith is not a human work it is simply a response to seeing you for the great God you are and seeing you in your grace as you have revealed yourself in and through your Son. And admitting and, and entrusting ourselves to you, saying, it is you who do it all, and that is how I can endure in this world. Lord, for those who are here this morning, I pray that no matter what they're going through, I pray that this message would cause them to not look at themselves or their difficulties or the world around them, but it would cause them to look to Jesus and rely on Him. And they would see how they can be sustained in this world just like the Old Testament saints. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would do a work in us even this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name.